talking Illinois high school football. If your goals are as high as you talk about, tonight's the night you go out and just take one more step. It's a view from the West. And it starts right now! Welcome back to View from the West podcast, the podcast talking about Illinois high school football on the western and the northwestern side of the state of Illinois. Once again, I'm joined by Mitch Stormer. Mitch will be talking about the Western Big Six, the Three Rivers Athletic Conference, the Lincoln Trail Conference, and the Northwest Upstate Illini. We got a lot to talk about. We got some teams that moved to six wins, so they are in the playoffs. We got teams that are playoff eligible at five wins and near the top of their conference standings. We got some of our big teams getting a scare this week after a big win. We got big bounce back games. We had uh, Lena Winslow going to the city of Chicago. So plenty to talk about, Mitch. But first, we do have a bit of breaking news, Mitch. We're getting okay. close to we're getting close to playoff time. Mm-hmm. And did you see? Did you see the big news that come November first, the McRib is back. It's that time of year. It's uh, <laughs> you know it, a bit of an inside joke with with us. Um, but that is a, a staple uh, amongst the, the Quad City uh, media elite that cover, <laughs> that cover sports the way that we do. So, yeah, that is, that is huge news and a, a big welcome back to the uh, McRib here. You give, me a, you give me a playoff football on a Saturday afternoon in McRib, I'm a, I'm a happy man. Although, yep. I will say, it's a little hard to eat a McRib while driving. I think I've done that before, actually, with you, though. I think we picked up Pro- McRibs yeah. and, and drove. So Yeah, it's all part of the experience. You just got to do it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right, well, we'll jump into the real, uh, the real action here. <laughs> uh, McRibs will be coming down the road soon enough. Yep. Mitch, we'll start in the Western Big Six, Week 6 scoreboard. And the game that may end up topping what we thought was the game of the year in United Township and Geneseo, maybe Rock Island Galesburg will take the game of the year, not necessarily because it was the prettiest game, but certainly adventurous, certainly a wild finish out there. Rock Island gets the 33 to 30 win in overtime. Mitch, this was my, uh, one of my games that I covered on Friday night and uh, right from the go, you know, from the first play from scrimmage for Rock Island, Darius Tongo takes a pitch, goes 63 yards. I mean, Rock Island looked good right off the bat. They found a huge hole, and Darius Tongo took advantage of it. The problem for the Rocks was that was the only points they got in the first half. The good news was the Rock Island defense held Galesburg to just three points to a field goal. So we were 7-3 to three at the half in this one. The real story of this one, we'll talk a little bit more about it later. Rock Island had to overcome 20 penalties on the night they Mm -hmm. had a touchdown called back in the first half when I was there uh the opening kickoff they brought it deep into Galesburg territory that was called back but Darius Tongo immediately eliminated that because he ran it 63 yards the touchdown Right. right but just a lot of penalties that really kept Rock Island from building positive momentum on the other side Galesburg's Cam Aguirre had two touchdowns runs in the third quarter that put the silver streaks up 17 7 he had 153 yards rushing on the night. He was filling in for um, one of the Egyptiacos who was out, and he looked really good. Aguirre had a really good night a uh, week before that against Quincy, and he looked really good in this game again, kind of taking that lead back role. So, they, like I said, they were up 17-7, Galesburg was. 
Rock Island will get back. Tongo scores 37-yard rushing touchdown. That cuts the lead to 17-13. However, the extra point was blocked. Then um, Sam Satiski, that's easy for me to say, he had three field goals on the night. That puts Galesburg up 20-13, to eight minutes left in regulation. Things keep going. Things keep getting crazy here. Yeah. Rock Island's Marion Anderson comes up with a 40-yard pick six. That's with four minutes, a little over four minutes left in the fourth quarter. The point after attempt fails because of an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. So once again, Rock Island is still trailing by one. So they're hanging in there. They just can't get over that hump. Galesburg responds right back and they score to make it 27-19, under four minutes left to play. And you think that's got to be it. That, you know, if Galesburg can, you know, they're going to salt this one away. They're going to get the victory here at home on homecoming. No, Marion Anderson, not to be denied. He gets a big play inside the Galesburg 10. Xander George has a seven-yard touchdown run. The two-point conversion ties it up at 27 apiece. That's with just under two minutes left in the game. The craziness is not over yet. Galesburg throws an interception. Anderson again. So man, he had a huge game for Rock Island. That sets up a Rock Island field goal from 25 yards out with two seconds left. It's a high snap. So Gail or Rock Island never gets the kick off. There was a little controversy on this play. Mitch, me and you both watched it back on Galesburg's yeah. live stream. The, the snap is high. It's bobbled by the Rock Island holder. It goes to the turf. He falls on the ball. I should say attempts to fall on the ball right as the Galesburg defender arrives. So it was like ball defender and the holder all kind of go to the ground at the same time. There's a, a little bit of a delay. And the, you even see some Galesburg players already off the field celebrating. Hunter Davina picks the ball up. It's on the turf. He's gone the opposite way, ends up in the end zone. The whole time, I shouldn't say the whole time. When by the time he's in the end zone, you hear whistles blowing. The play's called dead. The, the PA announcer says we're going to overtime. There's some discussion. You could tell Galesburg players, they're holding up the touchdown signal. They, they want a touchdown. They want this game to be over, obviously. Coaches go out and talk. It appears that the referee on the field indicates that he was down, kind of pointing at his knee that he was down. When I watch it, it's hard to tell, Mitch. You, I'll give your opinion in a sec, or get your opinion in a second here. It appears that the Rock Island holder falls on the ball and is touched by the Rock or by the Galesburg defender. To me, that appears he's down. I can't see the ball though because the you know it's an up top shot at the fifty yard line, so there's no there's not much clarity there. But man, just a wild turn of events there. That that's a tough play to make in the moment. What did you see when you watched the replay? Yeah, like you said, our vantage point is from is from the press boxes, so we can't you know we can't zoom in. There's no uh, there's no replay um, in in Illinois high school football, which media at this game we're kind of advocating for that because of a play like this. So now, will we ever have that? Probably not. But to me, like you said, it, it's it's a high snap, so he has to come up from his position. And remember, holders are not supposed to have any part of their body. They're not even supposed to have their knee on the ground because if they were to catch that snap with their knee on the ground, they are down by contact. Even if nothing, even if nothing on sure. the play happens. Yeah, in high school. Yep. yep. So did he have possession and then he goes to the ground even before the hit? Again, we, we can't tell. Um, 
and it doesn't seem like many of the players are really reacting to it. Uh, certainly no, none of the, the Rocky players that, that might've been one uh, might've been reactionary who, who thought maybe it was a fumble. Even some of the Galesburg players really weren't reacting to it as if it was a live ball. So it, it's hard to tell, you know, p- players in that situation are either going to hear a whistle or they're not. And, you know, whoever it worked out better for is going to say there wasn't. Whoever it worked out worse for says there was no whistle. So, you know, uh, it's hard to say. So I don't have any problem with the call um, because it looked to me like he at least had the ball and went to the ground. Yeah, I will give credit to Hunter Davina. It's a heads up play. I mean, there's, you know, there's that brief moment of that kind of chaos as the, the play is ending, what I would say. Whether the play was completely over yet, I, I don't know. Um, I didn't hear a whistle in the replay, but again, it's really hard to tell on the replay. Yeah, The referee said there was a whistle. Uh, Coach Blackwell from Galesburg did confirm that in his um, post-game comments, but I, I don't know. I did, I did not hear a whistle. I'll give credit to Hunter Davina for the heads-up play, for trying to make it happen. I can't fault Galesburg for being advantageous and trying to take advantage of that and and trying to advocate that they won the game. Cause I think it's right. a close call. It's worth fighting for on the flip side. I, I don't really necessarily have a problem with the play called on the field as it was. Um, it's, yeah. you know, it, like you kind of broke down. I, I think that it's hard to tell where the ball was at. I think he may have already been down anyway. Yeah. We haven't even gotten overtime. Yeah, yet, we're, not even, so we're not even done with the game yet. <laughs> yeah. So all tied at 27 at the end of regulation, Rock Island holds Galesburg to a field goal in their first possession. And then it's Xander George again from 10 yards out. He gets the touchdown to cap off a wild comeback win. Huge credit to Rock Island. This was a game that we talked about. Both teams really needed this win if they're going to stay up near the top and especially put themselves in that position to be a playoff team and get a good seat in the playoffs moving down the road. Credit to Rock Island. They get the job done in a game where, man, they really didn't do themselves any favors. They had a lot of penalties. But, man, they, they got the job done. They got the win. Um, senior tight end Kai Rios, I've been really impressed with him. I didn't realize – I mean, we talked about him before the year as a guy to watch out for. Man, I didn't realize just how big he is. I mean, he's, mm-hmm. he's a big body out there, and it felt like when Rock Island needed a play, at least when I was there in the first half, when Rock Island needed a play, they were looking for him. And he made, he made a couple big plays. One, I think, was called back by a penalty – but he was there all night, nine catches for 117 yards. So he was an impact player. Obviously, Marion Anderson, we just talked about. He had a huge impact on the defensive side of the ball with two interceptions, including the pick six and big catches on offense. And Xander George, obviously, getting the touchdowns and the two-point conversion run. So just a, a big game, a great game. Um, another heartbreaking loss for Galesburg, Mitch. This is a team yep. that is talented and they're just coming up short in these games. Yeah, um, I was just I was just looking at that. As a matter of fact, and I was looking at, you know, they have they've got what two conference losses now, both of which were by three points to Sterling and to Rock Island. Um, the first game of the year they only lost by one, so what? That's seven, and then they lost that second week to Morton, in which a game I think they were winning. So. Yep. Um, again, we're going to sound like a broken record where we think that Galesburg is a much better team than two and four because they really are. Um, you know, I, I do think Rocky got away with one. <laughs> you know, when you outgain your opponent by 200 some yards, you should 
be in a much better position than what you were being down eight or, or whatever it was with two minutes left. Um, but you know, those penalties come back to haunt you. So I, I you know, again, I, I don't want to take anything away from Rocky because it, it, they came back and won, but I think they kind of snuck away with one here um, because if Galesburg, if Galesburg comes away with that, win, they sit at three and three with games against Allman and UT coming up, now they're in a position where they have to beat Moline this week to even become playoff eligible. And they have to win out. They have to first beat Moline and then win out. So um, yeah, heart, heartbreaker for, for Galesburg for sure. But for Rocky, um, you know, again, they've looked good the past couple of weeks, offense um, kind of back on track, but coach hammer has said, I, cause I believe that penalties have really been an issue for them all season. Um, and so this is not what, what you want in week six. Um, you, you know, I, I think Rocky will qualify uh, and make it in uh, to the playoffs with what they have left on their schedule. Um, but they're going to have to play a lot better to go to make any sort of run uh, in playoffs. Yeah. And I think that coach hammer and the players would agree with that as well. I mean, you, you just can't consistently set yourself backwards. You know, I, I think that, um, you know, any of them would agree with that. So yeah, that puts Rock Island at four well, and, and two. Go ahead. Yeah, and and just to you know, we're two weeks removed from them being shut out sixty three to nothing, you know, and so they're getting better in some aspects of the game, but they just have to clean it up and not put themselves in a position like this. But they were in it; they did come back and win, so good for them. Yeah, and like we talked about going into this game, though, this was kind of a separator game. This moves Rock yep. Island to four and two on the year, and this drops Galesburg to two and four on the year. So you'd reference the kind of work that Galesburg has left to do and Rock Island puts themselves in a pretty good spot considering, you know, where they'd come from, you know, going back to the Moline game, which I'm sure no Rock Island fan wants to hear me go back to that. So we won't, we'll stop there, but you know, they're putting themselves in a much better spot now. Right. All right, let's move right along. Moline continues to cruise in the Western big six. They get the win 41 to nothing over United Township. Last year, it was UT that ended its 47-game conference losing streak against Moline. This was a chance for Moline to get some revenge, and they did it. Moline now outscored, has outscored opponents 160 to nothing in the last three weeks. Just mm-hmm. crazy. Um, yep. You know, the Panthers were able to move the ball a little bit, but they were stopped four different times when they'd get into the red zone. So credit to Moline for having the defense to step up when they needed to kind of that, that bend, but don't break type of defense. They were able to get the job done again. Riley Fuller led the way three touchdowns, 105 yards. Gavin Grace had a touchdown in the first half, Matthew Bailey catching passes from Alec Ponder. You know, when you start talking about Fuller and Grace running the ball and Ponder and Bailey making connections and that defense getting the stops in the red zone, it's all just it's a recipe for success. This Moline team has looked really impressive. They continue to get the job done. So credit to them, you know, a big win and they move right along in conference play here. Yeah. And I I read a a story from, uh, from Jackson stone. He writes for the Argus and the times about kind of preluding this game and how these are two programs that are, are really going in two opposite directions and they're opposite directions from where each program was, in the spring. So um, Moline has really turned things around. Uh, obviously you're not going to see a lot of teams that have, have shut out opponents for 13 straight quarters at any point uh, in the season. It's certainly not in the Western big six. 
Um, and for UT, they, they started so strong and now they just can't seem to get things going. Um, as you said, they, they were, they were moving the ball. They were in position to, uh, to score or, um, you know, continue to, to be a little better than getting shut out, but they just can't seem to find it. So, you know, they got a game against all of them coming up this week, I believe. And so there's a chance for you to, or, or for them to get back and focus on the basics. Um, but for Moline, you know, it's business as usual. Um, and, you know, next week, uh, I can't remember who, who they, they have. Moline they, has Galesburg. Galesburg. Yeah. So, so a, big, a big game for Galesburg and Moline there next week. And then the big one uh, that we'll talk about in a little bit in week eight uh, for Sterling, which might be for the, the title. So uh, for now, Moline rolls and uh, continues to look good. Yeah. One more note on Moline, Caroline Hazen again. She drills two field goals, 29 yarder and a 25 yarder made all of her extra points. So, you know, she continues to, you know, put up the points and, uh, yep. you know, be impressive for this Moline offense. Let's move along to the team. You just referenced Sterling 50 to 18 winner over Quincy Quincy scored on the opening drive, going 71 yards on seven plays, passing the ball quite a bit. It was, uh, I think it's Aiden. Is it Aiden Byquist? Yes. Uh, hit Peyton Welch for a 33 yard touchdown. But then from there, it's that Sterling defense that kind of stood up to the challenge. It's what we would expect from the Sterling defense. They get two fumbles and stop the Blue Devils inside the red zone on the on two different drives before the half. Sterling defense, they end the game with a pick six and three fumble recoveries. The Warriors offense looked impressive. Drew Kested back in the lineup, looking good, completing 10 of 13 passes, 188 yards with two touchdowns. Carter Ryan has been such an impact player since he's been back and healthy. Six catches for 120 yards and a touchdown. Justin Null also had a 30-yard touchdown catch. I mean, this Quincy team, though, I mean, this game, the final score didn't look good for them. But, man, I I still think they played tough. And they got pieces there, and they're young. Aiden Byquist, 8 of 22 for 144 yards. Shammy Gay had 90, had a 97-yard kickoff return. He also gets his, um, you know, yards on the ground as well in the rushing attack. Mitch, did you see uh, the play that uh, the Sterling Golden Warriors tweeted out? I think it was the other day. A yeah. Sterling, uh, Gale, Quincy going for a screen pass. It's caught out of the air by yep. Sterling defensive lineman Alejandro Aliano. Picks it off. Goes 45 yards the other way. Man, flew he- 45 yards. Flew 45 <laughs> yards. Jim, Jim Spencer and the crew were going nuts. <laughs> I, I heard them on the call. But, man, I was going to say, you can talk about his wheels. I'm going to talk about his hands. Man, yeah. it hit him right there, and he didn't bo- – you know, usually you see him bobble it, and they got to kind of recollect it in. No, man, he grabbed it and went. Oh. Yeah, he, he took his opportunity and seized it. So, I, I don't know – if we if we tweeted that out or if we, if we retweeted it, but we'll have to to give the listeners a view if they haven't seen it because it's it's a pretty cool play uh, yeah. and good for him for sure. Yep. All right, let's move along to the last game in the Western Big Six. Geneseo gets the win, forty-eight to nothing over Alleman. The connection of AJ Weller and junior running back Jaden Weinzerl. That's a connection we've called out a lot. Weller six of seven passing, ninety-six yards and a touchdown. He also rushed for twenty-six and a touchdown. Weinzerl, 108 total yards, 90 on the ground with two touchdowns. So Geneseo gets the big win here against Allman, a struggling Allman program like we've talked about. But for Geneseo, you got to be happy to get that one. 
and, you know, put yourself um, back in the win column. They now sit at three and three. And uh, that was snapping a three game losing streak. So they, they desperately needed that one. Yeah. Um, and and kind of when we're talking about Galesburg, a team that really has some work to do if they want to get into the playoffs, sitting at three and sitting at three and three. So they only need two to really qualify, but they've got Quincy, Rocky and Moline left. So they're really going to have to come. You can call them upset victories there. Um, you know, call them what you will, but they do have a lot of work to do if, if the Maple Leafs are going to get into the playoffs, but it's a good start here. Good bounce back win. Yep. Let's quickly look through uh, the standings in the Western big six. We'll kind of look, just look at the top half here. Like we said, Moline and Sterling both sitting undefeated in conference play. They're kind of on a collision course for each other in, I believe, is it week eight? Week eight. Yep. So they're, they're, you know, on the, like I said, on the collision course, waiting to play each other. Rock Island though, right on their heels now sitting at three and one, they played themselves up into that top tier and then Galesburg at two and two. Um, also right there week seven Mitch the matchups in week seven United Township is at Alleman Galesburg at Moline Geneseo at Quincy Sterling at Rock Island I think we say it every week but there's some very intriguing matchups in this uh, in this week's schedule well you just referenced the top four teams in the Western Big Six and they all play each other so talk about games where it could really shift the balance you know if if Galesburg finds what they've been looking for and, and have shown that they can do and, and beat a Moline team, that'll shake that up. If Rocky plays like they have been against a really tough Sterling defense, so it'll be tough to do it, but they certainly could, that could shake things up. So you could see Rocky and Galesburg maybe move up, or you could see Moline and Sterling separate themselves uh, going into that week eight matchup or a mix of the two and it's chaos. So, um, <laughs> you know, this is, this is really uh crunch time and it's it's really exciting because uh there's no standalone favorite here in the western big six yet yeah i'm right with you you know this is an interesting week um sterling and rock island you know i think that these two if like we've talked about if rock island can kind of limit the penalties what can they do against a really what it seems to be a really stringent sterling defense a defense we've been impressed with all year long but we got but we know that rock island has some firepower what what can they do can they limit some penalties, keep themselves in positive momentum on offense. Can they get the job done? And I also look at, you know, that Galesburg Moline game, like you talked about trying to can Galesburg put it all together and pull what would be a pretty big upset in the Western big six. Galesburg's are back against the wall now, you know? So what can you but, do in that situation? Yeah. Let me, let me put you on the spot here. Yes. The Moline streak is at 13 quarters. Does it go to 14? Does it go to 15? 16, 17, where, oh, where, do you see oh, that man. where do you see that streak ending? Oh, do man. Think can do, do you think Galesburg can do it, and when do they do it? All right, you'll put me on the spot, I'll answer it. I think Galesburg gets a touchdown in the second quarter. Okay. Yep. So, I think they'll get one. I don't know how bulletin many. Board ma- bulletin <laughs> board material there. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, I think <laughs> Galesburg's going to get a touchdown. That's a bulletin board statement, you know. Yep. For I guess considering what Moline's done, maybe it is. You know, maybe that maybe that is. But uh, yeah. What the other one, Geneseo and Quincy? I feel like both these teams. Well, they do. I think do, do they both come in at three and three? Quincy yeah. is two and four. Okay, Quincy's two and four. Geneseo's is three, three and, and three. three. They're, they're both. Yeah, they're both one and three in the Western. Big both six. one and three in the Big Six. I, I think that you know they both come in pretty equal 
footing as far as talent is concerned or their the makeup of their team and what's really interesting is they're both kind of underclass teams they're both teams that are a little bit younger so this could be battles we see for the next couple years you know who kind of gets off on the right foot yeah it could be an offensive uh showdown there in that game both defenses maybe a little suspect um throughout the season so uh yeah maybe a high scoring affair uh there that one is at quincy yep Let's move into the Three Rivers Athletic Conference. Mitch, we'll start with a game that was on Thursday night. Monmouth-Roseville, they continue to play hot football. They get the win 34-28 to over Orion. Man, it wasn't easy, though. The Titans had to no. earn this one. High-scoring first quarter in Monmouth. Both teams would score twice. It's a 14-14 game. The Chargers would take a 28-14 lead at the half. So funny story, I didn't know the game started at six. So I, you know, I'm kind of like getting dinner and kind of kind of doing stuff. And I thought, well, I'll turn on the YouTube channel. Monmouth Roseville mm-hmm. streams their games live through YouTube. So I thought, I'll turn it on. And it's right at seven o'clock. And I see it's already 28 nothing. And I'm like, <laughs> well, wait, is this is this the J like the JVs? And I was like, no, they don't yep. play a JV game before this anymore. So then I'm really trying to figure out. Then I'm like, well, it's 28, nothing. Well, who's, then it was like, I realized that Orion was winning and it was like, oh my gosh, like now I'm, now I got to see what happens in this game. So I, yeah. I turned it on at the right time or the wrong time, depending on which team you root for, I suppose, but mm-hmm. um, really entertaining second half Titans defense that, you know, they led the way in the second half, not allowing Orion anything else on offense. And on the flip side, they got the job done on their offensive side of the ball. They would score twice in the final quarter. The game winner with 23 seconds left. Monmouth-Roseville, like I said, trailed the game. They went on a 91-yard drive in about two minutes to go ahead. So, you know, huge credit. I mean, playing some gutsy football there. And they got the job done. Silas Braun, Monmouth-Roseville's quarterback, rushed for 136 yards, three touchdowns on 16 carries, also completed 10 passes for 158 yards and a touchdown. Derek Chandler with 145 yards and a TD. Charlie Fletcher, 94 yards receiving and a touchdown. So really great effort from the Titans. And, you know, it wasn't pretty. I'm sure that, you know, it's not as comfortable as you'd like a win to be. But, man, I think these are the games you need to get under your belt. These are the experiences you need to have come playoff time these are the experiences that you kind of want to have, um, you know, Monmouth Roseville staying ahead in their division. They do have to play EP coming up towards the end of the year. Um, so yeah, you like to see that fight with Roseville, uh, stat of the night here. The first time in program history that Monmouth Roseville defeats Orion. Uh, so a, a, a long time coming for them. So congrats to uh, the Titans on, on a big, uh, win historically speaking. Yeah, absolutely. That was kind of that, you know, get that monkey off the back. If you're the, you know, the Monmouth Roseville program, you know, knocking off an Orion program that's been consistently good for years. So um, credit to the Titans. They moved to five and one on the season. Now four and oh in the three rivers, Mitch, another top team in the three rivers that had a little bit of a scare. How about Kiwani edging out spring Valley hall 24, 22 for the second week in a row. Hall trying to knock off a track division leader or a team that's up near the top. They played Mendota the week before and Mendota had to battle back comeback style to win that game. So, you know, just a great game here. Second quarter hall linebacker, Dominic Greeny 
intercepts a pass, returns it 66 yards for a pick six with just 10 seconds left. That gave the Red Devils a halftime lead of 14-12. I think me and you were texting back and forth a little bit, and that was one of those like, whoa, like watch out, like what's going on a, here? Yeah, that was an eye emoji type of uh, <laughs> type of an update that I, I that I saw coming through the scores. Like, whoa, am I seeing that right? Wow. Yep. So, uh, you know, and, and we talked about it with Galesburg, and we've talked about it with Hall before. You know, Hall falls to one in five, and uh, spoiler alert, but Hall falls to one in five. They are not a one-in-five team. They've, they've played so many good games this year, um, just falling short. So, um, you know, if, if anyone at Spring Valley Hall is listening, you know, keep it up because you're going to get those wins playing the way that you do, especially against good teams like Kiwani. Mitch, it was names we've heard about. Keontis Patterson had a touchdown in the second half. Brady Clark had a couple of field goals to help out. But, Mitch, tell me about the end of this one. It, it got crazy, obviously, a two-point finish. Yeah, so – you know, like, like I just was talking about with, with Hall, there, there was a lot of fight from them today. Cause, or on Friday, I should say. So they're up 14, 12 counts. Patterson scores TD. Brady Clark gets a field goal that put Kiwani up 21, 14 in the fourth quarter. Uh, later on, it was, it would be Brady Clark again uh, for Kiwani who would add a second field goal. That would prove to be a pretty big kick. They, they were up 10 at that point, 24 to 14. Uh, but the red devils don't go away because they end up scoring a touchdown and a two point conversion. Um, that would bring the score to 24 to 22 with just about five minutes left on swing possession. The hall defense forces the Kiwani punt, but as they had all game, it was their kicking game. It was their special teams that really came up big. The punt rolls all the way to the five deep into hall territory. Not much time left. Hall's unable to do anything. And Kiwani closes out a 24 to 22 win. Yeah. So a gutty win, you know, kind of a win we talked about with Monmouth Roseville, the exact same situation. I think these are wins that you learn a lot about yourself. You know, come playoff time, wins are not going to come easy. You got to learn to perform in that clutch situation. And, and Hall did, or I'm sorry, well, and, and, Kiwani did. Right. And maybe, and, and this, the opposite of this is true in the next game we're going to talk about. Maybe a little bit of a hangover from that Princeton win for Kiwani. Maybe just a little bit of, you know, uh, you know, you see that a lot. You see that a lot from, from teams at, at all ranks. They come away from a big win and maybe, they don't have the, the energy during the week or they're just, the mind isn't there because they're still coming off such a high from winning a big game. So, um, but they still come through uh, and, and get this big win and automatically qualify for playoffs. So we got some stockpile gold in here. Brian Stockings uh, statistical gold listed here. Yep. Kiwani beats Hall for the first 6-0 and start since 1992. The Boilermakers last won or won the last three meetings against Hall the longest streak in the series since 81 through 86. I don't know how he comes up with these things. Sure. But there it is. Yep. Yeah. I'll believe it. He could, he could tell me anything. And I say, yeah, that's probably right. So <laughs> I'll, I'll go with it. That's the truth. All right. Let's move right along. Princeton gets the 41 to nothing win over Newman. I tell you what, maybe, uh, maybe Princeton had a little chip on their shoulder coming into this one after getting knocked off by Kiwani the week before. But, man, they were explosive in this one, and they yep. did not let Newman do a thing. Huge win for Princeton. They scored early, set the tone. Eight-play, 85-yard scoring drive on their first possession. Logan Glancy getting in with the touchdown. Matt Lucas and Augie Christensen would score in the first quarter. And from there, it was kind of just – it was just over, you know, just over. It was a, 
it was a Princeton game. It was a typical Princeton game. It just, you know, I think, I think I texted it to you or maybe I, maybe I tweeted it out. I think I did. I think I was tweeting either to somebody or, or, or just in general. And then you guys had mentioned on the, on the instant uh, reacts pod, you know, when was the last time that we saw a Newman team lose by this much? And it's just, it's, it's more of a credit to them than, than, you know, trying to take a shot at them because they've been so good for so long. I bet it's been 25 years. So, um, but again, this is what Princeton does to everybody. Just surprising that it, it came against a Newman team. Yeah. Going through some more numbers, Tigers quarterback Tegan Davis passed for three touchdowns, 200 yards. Bennett Sirens had two 25-yard touchdown receptions. The stat of the night, though, maybe, Mitch, Princeton's defense shuts out the Comets on 130 yards of total offense, 112 rushing, and 18 passing. So, and like you said, I think the, the fact that we're reading through these numbers and are so surprised by it, it's, it's a credit to Newman. It, it's, it's a credit to as good as Newman has been year in and year right. out. It's surprising when this result happens to them. So I don't want to pile on them and dwell on it. I think it's, you know, in the flip, in a weird reverse way, it's more of a backhanded compliment. But uh, yeah, and, Tigers. And, you know, yeah, and they kind of, you know, they ran into a buzzsaw. Coach Pearson had said that the kids were kind of embarrassed watching the, the film from the Kiwani game. They, they knew that that wasn't their best effort. And they wanted to respond to the way that they that they were capable of. And Newman, uh, you know, they're three and three, so it's not a typical Newman here. So, you know, maybe maybe this was coming, um, but all the pieces were in place for Princeton on Friday. Yep. Moving right along to Erie Prophetstown gets the win, forty-two to six over Riverdale. Quarterback Colby Franks continues to do great work, eighty-five yards rushing, a pair of first-half touchdowns. Erie Prophetstown becomes playoff eligible with that all-important fifth win. Yep. Uh, they ended the game. Erie Prophetstown had three second-half touchdowns, and that that led the way for a decisive victory, like we said, 42-6. to six. So they continue to look good. And, man, they put themselves right in the driver's seat for a potential divisional championship in the Three Rivers, them and Monmouth-Roseville. Yeah, that, and that's a game that comes in, in week eight. Um, and I don't remember – when did I – when did I, when did I say, when did I guarantee that EP was going to make the playoffs? It was either last week or the week before. So uh, they continue to make that look good. I think they'll get there. Um, so yeah, this was, this was a good one for them. And like you said, Colby Franks is just a name that we continue to, to talk about. Um, probably one of the best dual threat quarterbacks in the area. And uh, yeah, good to see him shine and good to see the CP program continue to roll. Yeah. He's been tough all year. So yeah, he, he looks good. Rock Ridge gets the 28 to 13 win over Morrison Rockets take the first possession, get a long run from Alex Zarlatanis followed by a 10 yard touchdown pass from Braden Deem to Nate Henry. We've heard that connection plenty of times over the last, uh, you know, about year Uh, they extend the lead. Uh, Braden Deem again goes to Nate Henry and then Deem punches it in for the touchdown Morrison would get a touchdown to make it 13 to eight at the break, but it would remain that way until the fourth quarter. Braden Dean breaks loose. He gets a 68 yard touchdown run. That would put the game away. Alex Zarlatanis would later score again on from nine yards out. So Rockridge gets the 28 to 13 winner. Braden Dean now three touchdowns. He ran for two rockets. Now eight and one in the last nine meetings against Morrison. 
Yeah. Um, and I, I had family at this game, as a matter of fact, and they sent me a couple videos. And so, uh, you know, more than just a down year. Um, they, they don't, they don't look as bad as their record indicates. They just, you know, it, it's so hard in this conference. If you're, if you have, if, if it's numbers or if it's, if it's youth, you know, I, I don't know what the particular, uh, you know, situation is in Morrison this year, obviously first year coach, uh, Steve Schneider. Um, but just this conference, with so many teams and, you know, when you play cross divisions and um, you know, all your games are, are conference games, one or another, it's just a buzzsaw. So, um, but to rock Ridge, you know, they, they bounce back to get the three and three. Um, I'm not entirely sure who they have left on their schedule, but they're so, in that, they're I was in that range where they need to, they need to win two of the three. Yep. Well, I was just looking at that. So I'll pick you up here. I got gotcha. you. Uh, rock Ridge now has Sherrard at home next week. Okay. They have Kiwani in week eight, and then okay. they have Orion to end the regular season. So depending That's, on what. Yeah, that'll come down to the week, week nine, I think. Yeah, depending on what Orion does, Orion could be in the mix. And so Rockridge-Orion could be a very critical game. Um, looking at it, obviously, Sherrard has struggled this year. We'll talk about them in one minute. But it's a winnable game for Rockridge next week. And then yep. you got Kiwani, you know, and that, that's a tough one on the road. And then week eight or week nine could be critical for them. So Rock Ridge, they put themselves in a position to, you know, they, they got to win some football games, but they're, they're in a good spot. You know, I think that yep. um, playoffs are attainable for them, certainly. And this is a team that, you know, they could do damage in the playoffs. If they can, if they could get themselves in a position where they can utilize the offensive explosiveness they have, make a few stops on defense, you know, figure some things out. I, there's so much potential there, like we've talked about. Yeah, I haven't I haven't heard Peyton Locke's name in a while. I, I don't know if he's if he's hurt or if I'm just missing something. But yeah, when they're on when they're on full cylinders, they are hard to beat. Yep. Let's move along to speaking of teams firing on full cylinders. Yeah. Mendota gets the win 60 to nothing over Sherrard. Mitch, 471 yards of total offense for the Trojans. Yep. They become playoff eligible. The great year for Mendota continues. Mendota's defense held Sherrard to 70 total yards on the night. The Sherrard team has struggled, but, but man, for Mendota to do that, that's, that's a statement. Trojan running back Uzi Angelo, who we've talked about, led the way with a game-high 139 yards on 15 carries. Anthony Childs had 129 yards rushing and three touchdowns. Ted Landgraf added another 91 yards rushing and an impressive 39-yard touchdown run defensively we got to talk about the defense is what we just yeah. referenced trojans led by ryan strauss and isaac smith each had a pick six so the defense putting up points of their own in this big win and mitch you tweeted it out or you you retweeted yeah. it from the view from the west account how yeah. about our how about our linemen getting in on the touchdown action yeah i think i think they sent this to us i think or they they tagged us in it when they uh when they uploaded it so um, this is, this is, a, we've got two lineman touchdowns and I wish, the, you know, we could vote on it <laughs> yeah, or, or give them an award, give them each an award or something. Cause this one was, was awesome. The, so the, the Trojans are on offense. It, this isn't a pick six. Uh, and, and I'm not sure, uh, what position, uh, Jose Roca plays if he's on offense or if he's on defense, they line him up in the backfield, six, five, three eighty. And he's a junior. So he's back. <laughs> takes a handle from Landgraf. And when I say that he explodes through the line 
and <laughs> scores from 20, he just fires through the line. There was no way you were going to stop him. So really cool play. Um, you know, something that they probably had in the works that they would work on on Thursdays or, or something when it's light and just they had a special package for it. But, um, you know, really cool of the Trojans to, uh, <laughs> to get that one in. And I, yeah, like you said, I think we have it on our social media. So if you haven't seen it, go to our Twitter and, uh, and look at it. Cause it is a cool play. So I don't know if like some of our younger, like high school age listeners will get the reference, but William refrigerator Perry for the bears yeah. back in the eighties, that was kind of his thing was a lineman that would, you know, carry the ball. But the difference is like when I saw this play and I thought of like the fridge, you know, running the ball, man, the fridge wasn't running 20 yards. No way was they, was he no. going to go 20 yards. So man, credit to Jose Roca for he's taking that ball and he's carrying to the house, man. He's not getting one and down. He's going. It was, yeah. It, like I said, if, if you can get on our, uh, or if our listeners can get on our Twitter feed and look at it, it's, it's a pretty, pretty cool play. And while you're at it, like you said, we're telling on ourselves a little bit with how old we are. If, if people don't know about the 85 bears, please go to YouTube and just <laughs> watch highlights. Look up Jim McMahon, look up Walter Payton, look up all these guys. Come on. Let's not, you know, there's no excuse for that. That's, that's a good point. Fair enough. Yes. Do your homework. Yeah. If you, you don't YouTube know. exists for a reason and that's one of them. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Hey, Mitch, before we move along, Mendota wins big on the scoreboard. They also win big in the all important uniform department. We yep. had a tweet last week saying, watch out for Mendota next week. And we were on the lookout. We were on the hunt. Sure enough, you called it, I think. You said it. They went all purple at home on homecoming. Yeah. Well, and I, I, had to, I had to kind of fight for it because um, their, their, their official account doesn't really uh, tweet or anything during the game. Um, and so I think I, I, I tweeted their radio station or something. <laughs> whoever whoever was doing the score updates i said hey they, they teased us this can anyone confirm i think they responded yeah they're all purple and then by the end of the night uh the the official mendota account sent us uh sent us a picture or two so uh yeah good look nice uh, nice change of pace um especially in a game like that where they're both kind of the same color scheme um both have that purple and yellow lsu type of look so yeah nice uh, nice way to mix it up on homecoming uh, cool for the kids yeah absolutely there was a discussion on twitter about the helmets the helmets are yellow yes and i believe I they kind of yes. i believe mendota kind of goes after the lsu look almost entirely so the helmet is mhs mirroring yep. what like lsu does with their yep. you know yellow helmet purple stripe with or purple lsu yep. but we did have a discussion so if uh if coach is listening to this from mendota maybe consider that Trojan logo they have on the 50-yard line, yep. man, that looks pretty sweet. You could do something pretty cool with a helmet and that. Yeah, and 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 shout out to to them too because I don't think I ever see I had never seen their facility before. So that's a really really nice field in Mendota. Uh, but yeah, that Trojan logo, I think that's that's how I responded to that listener that we were talking to or that reporter we were talking to. I said this logo looks really nice. So, um, you know, yeah, Mendota, if you're listening, uh, maybe uh, give it a thought. There, there you go. All right, last game to cover in the Three Rivers. St. Bede gets the 13-7 to win over Bureau Valley. Bruins struck for two touchdown runs, two long touchdowns in the first quarter, and then they held Bureau Valley scoreless for the final three and a half quarters for the win. Bureau Valley 
got on the board. Brock Foster ended St. Bede's opening drive with an interception at the goal line. He then returned it to the Storm 30, hauled in a 55-yard pass in which he <coughs> juked defenders and raced to the end zone for a 7-0 lead. The Bruins' second play on the ensuing drive, John Brady hit Anton Kane for a 50-yard touchdown to tie it up with 7-16 left in the first quarter. Bruins come back and score again. John Brady with a touchdown pass to Tyreek Fortney. Man, that kid, when he gets the ball in his hands, look out, he can make some plays. Yep. So that would end up being the difference maker. That made it 13-7, but this game was far from over. Uh, It would get very dramatic in the last minutes of the game. The Bruins had to stuff the Bureau Valley fullback Levi Hardy on a fourth and inches at the St. Feed 23-yard line. Still about seven minutes left in the game, but that would seal the win 13 to seven. So credit to Bureau Valley. They hung around with a really good St. Bede football team. I mean, St. Bede just had just enough to get the job done. They, they get the win 13, seven. Yeah. Uh, five and one St. Bede moves to, so that they're eligible for the first time since 2016, they've looked really good all year. Um, and when I say all year, I mean, back to the spring, um, another game kind of what we've kind of been the theme of the night. They both teams kind of struggled with penalties that would end the long drives or, or potential scoring opportunities. But um, yeah, BV hangs tough. Uh, you know, on that, on that play that you were mentioning where they stuffed Levi Hardy, coach Eustace had said that that was kind of a short yards package that they had been working on and, and hadn't really maybe come to a, a situation where they needed it. Um, they had, they moved their linebackers up to the a gap and that's exactly where BV tried to go. Uh, and so that worked out to perfection. So, um, yeah, congrats to the St. Bede. Look, St. Bede's in 1A, and they're 5-1 and one in a 1A division that might not be as tough as it has been in years past. Obviously, you're talking about Lena. You're talking about Boriston uh, and Fulton, and we'll get to those guys in a minute. But I think St. Bede could really be a team that makes a run in 1A. Yeah, if they end up in 1A, I agree with you. I think that they're a battle. Te- they're going to be a battle-tested team. I mean, their one loss on the year is to Kiwani, who's a very good potential 3A, 4A team. So I think when you look at, yeah, St. B drops down to one a, I think that's uh, yeah, that's really good for them. I think they could really do some damage. You know, you look at that um, Mississippi side of the division, Kiwani's up there. Mendota's still hanging around up there. Princeton St. Bede is still hanging around up there on the rock side. We talked about Monmouth Roseville, Erie Prophetstown. They've kind of separated themselves and they still have a game left to play down the road. But let's look at our week seven matchups. Erie Prophetstown goes on the road to, to Bureau Valley. Spring Valley Hall is at Newman. Mendota is at Kiwani. That might be, that probably is the game of the week in the Three Rivers. Morrison at Orion. Princeton at St. Bede. I guess I shouldn't speak too quickly because yep. there's another yep. really good game. Sherrard yep. at Rock Ridge and Riverdale at Monmouth Roseville. Another Thursday night game. So, you know, I go down the list and I think that um, Mendota and Kiwani obviously stands out and that Princeton St. Bede game, those ones stand out. Yeah. And we were, you know, we were talking about St. Bede about how I think, uh, how I think that, or how we both think they'll make a run. They've got two pretty tough tests left on their schedule. They've got Princeton this week and then they think they end the season with Mendota. Um, So it shouldn't affect their playoff eligibility at all. And it it should give them some good experience, but they do have some, uh, uh, not work because they're they're at five wins, but they've got some a tough you know a tough road still before playoffs even start. Uh, but like you said, it's 
Kiwani and Mendota. Um, can Mendota continue to, to really shine in their first year here in the track and, and Kiwani uh, continue on their way to their first uh, conference title in, in quite a long time? The other game I want to talk about, we've praised Erie Prophetstown and as good as they've been this year to get to four and two on the year, don't sleep on Bureau Valley. The Storm yep. have lost four in a row, and I feel like it's kind of easy for people to just kind of, you know, they're kind of out of sight, out of mind now that they had that good start. And then maybe people have kind of, they've gone off the radar a little bit. Erie Prophetstown goes on the road to Manlius. That's a game to watch out for. Erie Prophetstown okay. can't fall asleep on this one. I'm sure they okay. won't. Coach Abbott has them, you know, has them fired up and they're, they're a great football team, but I just think that Bureau Valley still got some stuff there. They've, they've still played some good football. I was impressed by their efforts against St. Bede and they fell a little bit short, but that's a game to watch for, I think as well. Yeah. Yeah. Coach Pistol has said in, in, you know, in recent weeks that he's proud of his team's effort. And so uh, they keep doing that. Those are the games that there might be an opportunity. It might be an opening um, that they can take advantage of. So uh, yeah, that's a good call. That's a good, probably, probably the third game that we would you know pay attention to, but we'll certainly be paying attention to it. All right, let's move into the Lincoln Trail Conference from week six. We'll review the scoreboard here. We'll start with Knoxville. Mitch, this was my first stop of the night. They hosted yeah. Anawan Weathersfield. Knoxville gets the 54 to 26 win. We've talked about Knoxville's offense all season long. And yeah. I saw it, I saw it firsthand on Friday night, and I tweeted out when I left the game. I saw two plays from scrimmage from Knoxville. And both were 52 plus yard rushing attempts for <laughs> touchdowns. So that's pretty efficient for them and pretty efficient for me too. Cause I was able to get three touchdowns, one from Anawan Weathersfield, two from Knoxville. And I was able to get on the road to Galesburg. They Kellen McClay had the first touchdown run. The Titans would answer back on a quarterback keeper from Dylan Ory, but then on their second play from scrimmage on their next offensive possession, Peyton Hankins busts off another big run. Hankins had 14 rushes for 305 yards and two scores. So Mitch Peyton Hankins doing work in this game and he's been doing it all year long. Yeah. He's, he's closing in on a thousand yards on the season and he averages just, just about 25 yards a carry. So that's insane. uh, If it's in, if it's in his hands, you know, good things are going to happen. If you're Knoxville, bad things are going to happen if you're on the other side of the ball. So um good for knoxville a, a good win uh, against a a staple um clearly the the run for for weathersfield in this conference is coming to an end of this year uh and knoxville trying to take that crown so uh, congrats to them they get the sixth win automatically into the playoffs and they're uh, certainly not done uh with three weeks left yeah i, I gotta give a shout out i don't have all of their names individually in front of me i gotta give a shout out to knoxville's offensive line and their defensive line, too, and some of the same kids, I'm guessing, on both sides. But their offensive line, there's some big boys, and they create some huge holes. They create some big gaps in the field. So guys like McClay, guys like Hankins, I mean, they're athletic, and they're making the moves when they get to the open field. But, man, these holes that they're being given are humongous. That I mean, yeah. that's what makes their offense go, is that they got big bodies to push the line forward, and they're making the – opportunities creating space and their running backs take it from there so just a really explosive offense they are the definition of that ground and pound football team and they do it really really well last thing about Knoxville went out there and man they're an undefeated football team 
And that community is buzzing, man. You can Mm -hmm. just, you walk in and you just feel that energy surrounding that community and that program. This has been a program that's been good for several years now. This has been building for, you know, five, six, seven, eight years, but it just, it's electric. You know, the feeling when you walk onto a sideline of a game, you walk into a venue and you can just feel that excitement, man, it's all there in Knoxville. That's a place I, I hope it works out. I'd love to see a Saturday playoff game there because yep. it, it's going to be a ton of fun. They, they really do a great job. It'll be a lot of fun out there. Let's move along to Mercer County continuing to look good. They get the 32 to six win over Princeville. David Meese. This is the guy getting the work done for the golden Eagles, 138 yards, two touchdown runs. So Mercer County keeping themselves in the mix. And Mitch, we talked about it last week. Man, I really feel like there's potential for Mercer County to go on a run here and really end the season strong. Yeah, I think so too. You know, they, they've got Ridgewood and Stark County coming up. So if they can take care of business there, which they should, that gets them to five. Um, and then that would, it would set up a, a big matchup at the end of the year with Weathersfield. So, um, yeah, you, you called it in, in the same vein that I had said something about EP a couple weeks ago. You said it about Mercer County. So, um, yeah, I, I think, I think they can do it because they, you know, um, that opening loss to Farmington really got blown out and then they had to sit up the second week, uh, for, for COVID reasons. They've really looked good since then. Um, so yeah, continuing to, to do well. And I think that they're going to be able to get into the playoffs here this year. Yep. Let's move right along to Monmouth United getting the 66 to 34 win. Oh yeah. 66 from United United Cormac Flynn, six touchdowns, four rushing one receiving and one kickoff return. Mm. So talk about a Jack of all trades, getting the job done. Cormac Flynn. Great job from him. Great job from the United Red Storm. Yeah, I think that I think they had 54 at half. So yeah, they they put this one away early. So uh, great performance by Flynn. Uh, and you know, United continues to look pretty good. They've uh, they've had a couple of good weeks. Um, you know, they get that they're even at three and three now. Um, they've got you know, it, it's next hard week, to say. It, it's hard next, to say because they end the year with Rushville and in, in A Town, so that might just put a hamper on any sort of playoff hope. Um, but the way that they're playing, I wouldn't put it past them to, to maybe sneak away with one. Yeah. I, I think um, next week is a big, big game for them. If they can get the job done, we'll talk about their opponent in a few minutes here, but next week's a big one for them. I think either way, regardless of what happens down the way, this is a team that was really struggling for wins. I mean, they were, yeah. you know, one win a year, or I think they might've gone winless in a season. I, I'm not, I'd have to look back to be positive on that, but either way, it's a team. It's a program that was really hungry for some success to be sitting at three and three with a potential for a few more wins like that. That's huge. That's huge for this program. So credit to them. You know, we'll see what they can do the rest of the way. We'll look at the team that we just referenced the team. They're going to play next week. Rova Williamsfield got the win 44 to eight over Stark County, their Twitter feed, giving some love to the offensive line and the tight ends as well. The Cougars rushed for 451 yards. They averaged almost eight yards per carry. We've talked about this Rova Williamsfield offensive attack. They've had six, seven, eight different guys like contributing. That's huge at the 1A, 2A level. If you're getting that many playmakers in on the ball, like that can carry the ball consistently for you. Great job for them. They, They get the win this week. 
yeah, good for, good for them. They, they get their first week, their first win since week two. Um, and, and, and again, they, like you said, they, they've had some signs all year, um, but a good win. And, and when, like you said, credit to the O-line and the tight ends and, and everybody involved on in that win, because it, it, that's not an easy task, no matter who the opponent is uh, and, and cool to see for sure. Yep. You look back and they only fell three points short, 17, 14 to Princeville. If yep. that game goes differently, man, you just wonder like kind of what if at some point, I think they still have some games on the schedule left that they want to get, they want to grab some W's, but you know, man, that this team, like we've said, they're, they're close, you know, they're close. Yep. So yep. Uh, sure. last, last, but certainly not least a town moves to six and oh, so they're in the playoffs. No doubt about it. Now they get the forfeit win over Havana. That was their non-conference game that ended up being wiped out because of COVID issues from Havana. So they moved to six and oh, Mitch, like we talked about with some other conferences, it's that Knoxville a town collision course that we're on right now. We don't get that yet. But yep. it's coming. We'll look through our week seven matchups here. A-Town versus Princeville. Mercer County goes up against Ridgewood. Anawan Weathersfield at Stark County. Knoxville on the road at Illini West in their non-conference game. And United goes up against Rova Williamsfield. So I think uh, the Knoxville game going on the road in a non-conference opponent, um, Illini West, is interesting. And I think the other one that stands out to me is that United and Rova win, you know, United and Rova game who, which did they, they, they feel like they come in pretty equal. You know, that one should be a close game who can come out on top in that one. Yeah. Um, like I said, looking at, looking at Knoxville to see how they can stack up against a pretty good, uh, historically pretty good Illini West team. I'm not sure what they have this year. Um, you know, and, a town there they coming off a, a bye week so to speak so um a Princeville a three and three team can they maybe give them a give them a run um but ultimately I, I think we're, we're looking at a week eight matchup between a town and Knoxville to really determine this conference I think both teams will be undefeated um certainly will be undefeated in conference play regardless so um yeah really looking looking ahead to that I hope hopefully the teams are not but uh, I certainly am yeah um that A-Town Princeville one, that's, you know, that's interesting. Princeville will go on the road to Abingdon Avon. I, it's got to be, it's got to be an advantage for A-Town to have that week off, right? I mean, I think certainly Princeville's looking for an upset, but do you think it's advantageous to get a week off and get healthy? I think it depends on your situation. If you're in a, you know, NFL teams and college teams kind of go through this. And if you're, if you're injured, sure but you also don't want to lose any momentum. Um, and a town's certainly been, been putting the hammer to teams all year. So maybe it won't matter too much. Um, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not a huge believer in that it is always beneficial just because you get out of your rhythm a little bit, you know, your routine is off. You're not used to getting ready on Friday nights anymore. Um, so hopefully they, they handled that well and uh, we'll, we'll come back ready to play. Sounds good. We will be monitoring those games for sure. Let's get into the Northwest Upstate Illini Week 6 scoreboard. Mitch, we're going all the way up to Chicagoland. Lena Winslow, oh, yeah. Lena Winslow gets the 38-27 win over Chicago DePaul. And, man, you, you tweeted me or uh, you sent me a text message with a, a video clip of the skyline of the stadium they played. 
And man, you can see the Chicago skyline behind them. And it's, man, you're not, a, you're not in Lena Winslow anymore. No. Yeah. It, it's, it's a brand new, it's a brand new school, brand new program um, in that area. I think they started back in August of last year. Um, but they, they dwarf Lena in size in terms of enrollment. I think they have over 500 kids in the school. So, but a new program, um, I, I talked to, I talked to my contact there at Lena about the game a little bit. Um, and he said it was a great experience to play a team like that as they're getting ready for Dupec, which we'll get into in a minute. Um, you know, in the same vein that Dupec played St. Teresa, Lena gets kind of the same advantage, uh, playing a, a Chicago DePaul team. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, like you said, the, 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 the scenery there, uh, the panoramic from the press box was pretty cool. So Lee Wynn does what they do, um, again, regardless of the, of the opponent, um, and, and shows, shows their offensive muscle against a bigger team. And, you know, the contact that I was talking to said DePaul kind of exposed some things that maybe they hadn't seen yet in the season. So good to get that before a big game like Dupac and they can clean it up, uh, heading into the game this week. I think it's great. I mean, obviously, you know, we hope that West Carroll can get their program back up to the varsity level. Mm-hmm. But I will say in this year of absence, looking at the Northwest Upstate Illini specifically, in the year that they were absent and it created that one week of non-conference, I'm sure it wasn't ideal for athletic directors and head coaches trying to find that game throughout the season, depending on when it landed in your schedule. But man, it is really cool to see Lena Winslow step out of, you know, their conference and challenge themselves. Like you said, we saw it with Dupec challenging themselves against St. Teresa in a game that kind of came up last minute, but I just think it's a, you're going to see in a game we'll talk about later on Forreston goes up against Gibson city, Melvin Sibley later in the year, which looks like it could be a really great game of perennial playoff teams. So yeah, I get it. It's probably not ideal for, you know, the conferences to have that one opening, but man, as a fan watching it, I love it. So I think it just gives you another look at these teams, a little bit different look than what you're normally going to see in conference play week in and week out. So we'll move right along. Dupec gets the 46 to nothing win over Dakota. So like you referenced, they're gearing themselves up for a big matchup next week. We'll talk about that in a minute. Forreston wins 56 to 20 on Saturday over East Dubuque. Forreston jumped out to a big lead in the first on this one and never really looked back. Matthew Beltran rushed for 139 yards and a touchdown. He added 21 yards receiving. Jacob Fiorello, 106 yards rushing, three touchdowns, picked up 24 yards through the air. Mitch, Logan Dyson for the Cardinals, three of four passing for 45 yards. So those like cart- <laughs> nope. I don't like it at all. Too many, too many passes in force and way too many. So those Cardinals, they're, uh, they're passing the ball on you now. Devontae yeah. King Black also rushed for a touchdown in this game. So, man, Forreston continues to look. They look good. They look impressive. Yeah, I, I saw some highlights, and I think it was, was a Matthew Beltran uh, run incredibly fast, incredibly, uh, you know, quick through the line. And that's what you expect um, good teams in 1A to do. It's what we expect <laughs> from the NUIC, having watched Lena do it for so long uh, and, and Fulton doing it this year. So um, Fulton, another team that I kind of, when I was talking about uh, St. Bede, I think Forrest is going to be a really good team in 1A. And I think we're going to really have a really good shot of one of these teams that we, we cover being a, a state champion this year because they, they just look so good. Um, 
and what we're even going to see some of that even before the playoffs start because Lena still has to play for this team. Yeah, there's yeah, there's some big games in this conference down the road that we'll we'll talk about. Let's move along. Fulton gets the win 42 to 14 over Stockton. Keegan Van Campen, 172 yards rushing, four touchdowns, seven tackles. I believe he was one of the uh, NUICfootball.com players of the game, players of the week for them. How about Galena surviving the scare against Eastland Pearl City, 41-40 in double overtime. Brady Schemmelhorn, six passes, hauled in six passes for 117 yards, three touchdowns. Ethan Heffel completed 14 passes for 220 yards, three scores along with a one-yard rushing touchdown in the second overtime. That gave the Pirates the win. Mitch, they were trailing in this game and had to fight back. Yeah, a, a real heartbreaker for EPC. Um, you know, they don't have a win on the season yet. So it was looking like that for uh, for a long time. I, I was following along with this game on Friday night, and you just started to see Galena chip back, and then they get that that tying score before uh, the end of regulation um, and, and end up taking it here in the second OT. So, uh, yeah, a great game, really exciting game for the NUIC um, and a good win for Galena to get to, to even three and three. All right, well, let's get right into week seven. Dakota at Galena. East Dubuque goes up against Eastland Pearl City. Forreston at Fulton. That one's really interesting. Yep. Stockton goes on the road in a non-conference game against Fieldcrest. And the big one, Mitch, Lena Winslow versus Dupec. This yep. is the game we had circled when the year started. And both teams have lived up to the hype. And now here we sit, ready to ready to go. I think this, this essentially decides who wins the Northwest Upstate Illini, maybe with Forreston in there as well to uh, toss their name in the ring. But, um, you know, this win will go a long way for one of these teams. Yeah, I, th- I think I tweeted out that, you know, this game is going to be for, for ultimately for NUIC supremacy and, and for probably the, the conference crown. Um, not to take away from Forreston because they are certainly in the hunt. Um, I just think it will come down to these two teams and they just so happen to be playing here in week seven. So you're the, the perennial power, Lena, the, you know, still, uh, right. Still the defending one, a state champs. Yeah. Um, still the defending NUIC champs against Dupec, who is top 10 and three, a, I think, I don't know yeah. their exact ranking or if the new one has come out yet, but um yeah, a, a big time matchup. That's just going to be a lot of fun. You know, can can Lena continue to to be a force on the ground? Um, you know, when Dupac Saint Saint Teresa, that's how Saint Teresa kind of made their hay. It was on the ground. Um, but uh, DePaul kind of passed over Lee when this past week, and that can kind of fall into into Dupac's favor too. Um, with, with, with Trent and Taylor running, running the ball for them. So this, uh, this game is so much fun. I, I hope Kyle goes there uh, with NUIC football and, and can give us a, a report from the field um, because this game deserves a lot of attention because uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to mean a lot for both programs. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing that stands out to me is up until this past week when Lena Winslow gave up 27 points to DePaul, but even in giving up 27 points, I don't know. Was this game ever really in doubt? I think Lena Winslow kind of held a lead for most of it. 
Yeah, I think that's probably the best way to, to put it. Is it wasn't in doubt. I don't. I don't. Uh, maybe early, but I, I don't um, think that DePaul ever, ever, ever was in the lead. And then I think it was thirty-eight to twenty in the fourth, and then uh, DePaul scored again. So that that's probably a good way to put it. So outside of them giving up the twenty-seven points in this this past week's win, before that they'd only given up thirteen points. Yep, they gave up seven to Fulton, and they gave up six in week one to Eastland Pearl city. So I think yep. the question for me is immediately this Dupec offense has been high powered. We talked so much about it last year and we've talked about it this year as well. Hunter Hoffman and uh, you know, Trenton Taylor, can they, can they establish something? Can they put points on the board and defensively? I think they have the pieces as well. Yep. Can they, can they do it? I mean, can they get the job done against, this Lena Winslow team on the flip side, I think it becomes, can Lena Winslow establish themselves on the ground against a pretty tough, a pretty, a pretty tough Dupec defense. Can they establish themselves and do the damage they've done against a lot of teams in this conference and a lot of teams over the past couple of years. Yep. That, yeah. It, you know, some, some of the games that Lee plays, you know, are kind of over early, you know, have they, have they been holding some stuff back? Um, you know, have they really been showing all their cards thus far this season? We'll, we'll see. Um, you know, can, can Mari Roby get going? Can Ethan Fye get going? Um, against a bigger, you know, there's no doubt about the Dupac's a bigger team. Um, but but Lena has has always had the upper hand. So, um, yeah, I, I cannot wait for this game. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. I hope this one is streaming somewhere because I'd love to be able to sit back and watch it. If not Friday night, watch it in, you know, in, in on, a, on a replay even over the weekend, but it's, um, it's, it's at Dupec. I think they stream, don't they? Don't they have their games going? I think so. Yeah. I believe I've seen that. So that's great. Yeah. That, that'll be great. Riverman. If you're listening, please, please get that game on streaming somewhere. That's That's right. That's right. Absolutely. All right, Mitch, well, let's look down at the other games here. How about Fulton at Forreston or I'm sorry, yeah. forest, sorry, Forreston at Fulton. There we go. Yes. Yeah. Um, a, a game that is really going to probably play a key part in the playoff seedings. Um, one way or another, someone is going to qualify here. Either Forsen is going to get their automatically qualify or Fulton's going to get their, their fifth win to become eligible. So uh, big playoff implications in this one. And it will, I think certainly uh, affect how both teams get seated. Cause I think both teams are going to make it. Um, and so which, which team maybe gets a, a higher seed will be a result directly from this game. So two ground and pound teams, you know, that uh, at least in Forreston's situation, you know, don't like to pass the ball that much. Um, so, yeah, that's if, if Lee Wynn and Dupec is the one we're looking at, Forreston and Fulton is pretty, pretty close behind. Yeah, I mean, you look at this Fulton team sits at four and two. There's two losses are to Dupec and Delina Winslow. So yep. nothing to nothing to scoff at there. They, you know, can they can they get the job done? They have some weapons, they have some pieces, you know, they got some talent there, obviously. But man, this Forreston team, if they can really continue to do that damage on the ground, it seems like they're hard to stop. You know, it, the, the way that they maneuver their offense, it seems like they're really hard to stop. That's a challenge for Fulton. And I think that uh, you know, Patrick Lower in the bunch. That's why they joined the NUIC is they, yeah, this is a challenge you want. I think this should be a great football game as well. Well, that's what, that's three straight weeks of 50 points for Forreston. So, 
yeah, they they are on a roll. So Fulton's really going to have their their hands full because this this Cardinal offense is really uh, running smooth. Yep, Galena um, is hosting Dakota. So if they want to bounce, you know, continue their winning ways, this is a game they need to win. Um, yep. That's another game I'll be looking at. Um, Stockton on the road at I believe Fieldcrest is struggling this year, um, but it's a non-conference game. Fieldcrest has been a good team in years past. Um, I think they are down a little bit this year, but that'd be a nice road non-conference win for Stockton if they could get it. So yep. um, the other game on the schedule, East Dubuque against Erie or Erie Eastland Pearl City. So uh, you know, one of these struggling teams, it would be nice to be validated with a win. You know, getting yep. later in the season here. So, no doubt. all right, Mitch. Moving into the eight-man ranks, Amboy gets the sixty to thirty-six win over Hiawatha. Polo, another big win, a two-week break for them, but it didn't yeah. really phase them at all. They they get the 66-6 to six win over River Ridge. Aquin, 42-22 to 22 over South Beloit. NUIC.com, another player of the week for them. Drew Eag, 18 tackles. So how about Woo. that? <laughs> that's, that's doing some work on defense. He also yeah. blocked his way to 172 yards of offense uh, for Aquin. So just a great job by him. And maybe the game of the week in the eight-man ranks across the state, Milledgeville gets the 56-26 to 26 win over Orangeville. Yep. That, I believe, was Orangeville's first loss of the year or second? It, it was their first. They were, they, were, they were number one in the state in yeah. the eight-man ranks. So huge win for Milledgeville. Ashton Nobis, 55 yards receiving, three touchdowns. He added 11 tackles to that as well. So a big win for the Missiles. Also, bounce back win, West Central gets the 62-20 to 20 win over Galva. So a lot of excitement in the eight-man ranks. Um, let's move into week seven, the, the uh, upcoming week for them. Uh, it was going to be AFC at Amboy. AFC has canceled their season due to numbers uh, being too low. So Amboy gets the forfeit win in that one. Orangeville at River Ridge. Polo at Peoria Heights. And the big one, uh, Milledgeville at Aquin. So, mm. you know, it seems like Milledgeville, Aquin, Polo, and Orangeville, they're all doing battle up there in the NUIC. And so this is one of those, you know, big matchups as well. Yeah, um, you know, Polo probably going to move to that number one seed or number one ranking in the eight-man as they're 6-0 with Orangeville's loss. So, um, yeah, Orangeville will probably get a bounce-back win over River Ridge. But like you said, that Milledgeville-Aquin game is really going to uh, give one of the teams their sixth win. Uh, the other team going to give their second loss. So, uh, yeah, really exciting game there uh, in eight-man ranks. When you start looking ahead to the playoffs in eight-man football, you start talking about that northern half of the state, man, that is going to be some great football, yep. some great playoff games, but also, man, that's going to be a grinder. If you get through the northern half of the state to get to a semifinal or a state championship game in eight-man football against the southern bracket team, man, you've earned it at that point. You have, yeah. I believe, I believe they bracket north and south. I'm not positive on that. But, okay. man, the northern half of the state is just so loaded with the teams we mentioned in eight-man football this year. It's going to be a lot of fun, but, man, if you're going to win it, you're going to have to earn it. There's certainly not going to be any easy games along that path. 
Yeah, uh, you know, the NUIC just continues to prove that they're one of the top conferences in the state, both in 11-man and 8-man football. So uh, it's been that way in the past, and it's that way uh, again this year. Yep. So, Mitch, I heard last week when we were debating what is 8-man football if the SEC is the 11-man ranks of the NUIC, somebody yeah. tweeted at us that the 8-man is like the Missouri Valley Football Conference with North Dakota okay. State and Illinois State, Southern Illinois. Okay. I can get on board with that. Northern yeah, Iowa. That. Sure. Yeah. So I thought that was a good, that was a good comp. I'm, I'm okay with that one. So yeah. Uh, yeah. A conference historically really good and might not get as much coverage uh, as it should. Uh, so yeah, I can totally see that. Yeah. Well, that's it. That's all we got, Mitch. To everybody listening. Thank you so much for listening to our preview of week seven and our recap of week six. Mitch will be behind the uh, behind the keys again next Friday night, pounding away on Twitter, getting the updates out there. Um, yep. So follow along on Twitter at View From West Pod. We'll be keeping scores updated and kind of giving you know little insights along the way. And if you haven't listened to it yet, um, when this episode's done in about five seconds, go out and listen to our Instant Reacts podcast. Uh, me and the crew from WQAD do a uh, you know do a kind of, like I said, it's our reactions on a Friday night. We get done with the show and just immediately sit down and record. Uh, there's not nearly as, not nearly as much prep work that goes into it. Actually, there's no prep work at all that goes into it. Um, <laughs> there's very little, uh, you know, it's controlled chaos for the most part. It's, we let it's, Brian... Yeah, it's more, it's more authentic. It's, it's a very good representation of what Friday nights are like in that world. So it's, uh, you, you don't have to apologize or, or or try and uh, preface anything because it's it's authentic as it gets. Well, I think that's kind of the beauty of it. It's very raw, very unedited. So it just, you know, we give our thoughts, we give our hot takes. Stocking gives off a multitude of sta- of statistics. Uh, yeah, a 15-minute story of how he broke his hand and, you, and you're still not <laughs> sure by the end of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you. Yeah, I knew, I should have known going into that, that this, this story yeah, is going to go way yeah, too long. a can of worms, yeah. That no was... Doubt. That was a story meant for the end of the podcast, not the beginning, but uh, yeah. Anyway, that'll wrap us up for this week. Thank you so much for listening, Mitch. We'll see you next week. We'll be talking about some big games. We'll be talking Dupec, Lena Winslow. I can't wait. Yep. Looking forward to it. That'll do it for this week's episode of view from the West. Thank you so much for listening. I encourage you to go out to Apple podcasts or Podbean and subscribe. So you can follow along and downloads will come automatically every week you can follow along on twitter at view from west pod you can also email me if you're interested in being a sponsor view from west pod at gmail.com thanks so much we'll see you next week